And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Ed Kay, who writes... I'm sure you've heard by now that Norm MacDonald passed away after losing his long battle with cancer. I will always remember him as Burt Reynolds on Saturday Night Live, Celebrity Jeopardy, but the guy was one of the most recognizable voices in Hollywood. When you hear it, you instantly knew it was him. R.I.P. to a legend. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, it was right near the tail end of... Um, of yesterday's John Campia show, as we were doing the uh, live viewer questions, that news broke that Norm MacDonald had passed away. And like most people, I had no idea he was even sick. A part of the news story was that he's actually been privately battling cancer for like nine years. uh, And he finally lost to it uh, yesterday at the age of 61. He has been one of those entertainers that you always look at and you think, how is this guy not much bigger in the industry than he is? I mean, don't get me wrong. You say the name Norm MacDonald. People know who you're talking about. That's pretty big. But he had a talent. He had a talent level that, to me, should have had him on the same level, like notoriety-wise, as, as a Kevin Hart or you know other guys like that stature in the comedy world. When this guy was on, he was simply one of the funniest, quickest, sharp-witted dudes there was in entertainment. He was absolutely hilarious. And yeah, we talked a little bit yesterday, Rob, about, um, I will, I cannot, I can never watch a clip of Celebrity Jeopardy where he's playing Burt Reynolds that I'm not just grabbing onto my chest, trying to breathe, falling over on the floor, laughing my guts out. I mean, the dude was absolutely phenomenal, but he brought that same level to just about everything that he did. I mean, I loved his stint as the anchor on, uh, on the news segments on Saturday night live. Of course he did a couple of movies. He was the voice of Yafit in, in, um, I keep wanting to say galaxy quest, but it's, uh, uh, I keep, what's the name of the, the Orville. show? The Orville, thank you. As uh, on the, But you're right. He also mentioned the, the uniqueness of his voice. As soon as you heard his voice, it didn't matter if it was an animated character or narration or whatever, as soon as Norm MacDonald would start to do speak, you knew exactly who it was. And you knew the exact kind of level of this dry humor. Good. I remember, Rob, one of the funniest things I've ever seen him do. Nobody watched his late night sports show that Ann and I actually got to go and be in the audience of once, but he had a sports wow. show, a, a, a late night sports show that I, that lasted one season. And you know, Djokovic is pretty much the, the best tennis player in the world right now. We go, so everybody's talking about Djokovic and we're lucky today to have his uh, little unknown brother. And he brings out this puppet, Jokey Djokovic. And like Jokey Djokovic was like spewing jokes. And I just remember, his to like I'm saying it doesn't sound funny. Norm Macdonald does it. It's hilarious. And so, yeah, it was very sad to hear about the passing of Norm Macdonald. Anyway, Rob, uh, you were on air with me when we heard about on reflection, your thoughts on the passing of Norm Macdonald. Well, you know, I, I like I was telling you earlier, I, I kind of went down a rabbit hole. There was a lot of compilations of clips like Variety had a page where you could just watch. I think I watched Norm Macdonald clips yesterday for two hours. And the guy, it didn't matter what venue he was in he could have been on a late night talk show he could have been doing sketch comedy man did he have some offbeat pulling it out of the air humor that uh 
it was pretty impressive. I mean, the way his mind worked. You know, I, I don't have the soul of a comedian. I know what I think is funny, but I can't come up with the instantaneous witticisms of our great comics. And I'm always, I've always admired when people can do that. And especially when your comic timing or comic, comic sensibility is slightly off kilter. And there was just something about him, man. He was unique. He, he, he had a way of looking at the world that no other comic did. And he was the kind of comic that other comics admired. So his passing definitely leaves us less lesser people, John, less funny people because Norm MacDonald has left us. And at such a relatively young age too, like sometimes, you know, we were talking about the great Michael Constantine who passed away the other day, but sometimes we talk about the passing of some of these icons and all we can do is look back on the incredible art that they gave us and we smile, right? With the passing of Norm MacDonald, I also, I feel a loss of the things now we're never going to get from him. You know, because he passed away so young and uh, that's sad. And I i mean, obviously, I'm going to spend the next week or so probably going back and revisiting old Norm MacDonald stuff. But anyway, guys, the question is for you. What's your favorite memory of Norm MacDonald? The dude was incredibly hilarious. And I will never for the life of me don't know how he wasn't like top shelf A-list. But when you think of Norm MacDonald, his career, what do you guys think of? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. And by the way, our friend Jack Wallace sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate that, man. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Hugh Jacks, who writes, As as we all know, the new standard window is 45 days. That's the theatrical window. For those of you who don't know what he's kind of talking about, the theatrical window is the agreed-upon period of time that movie theaters and studios agree that once a movie goes into a theater, it can only play in theaters for that amount of time. And right now, the standard theatrical window has been adjusted to 45 days. At any rate, as we all know, the new standard theatrical window is 45 days. However, Christopher Nolan is apparently seeking a 90 to 120 days for his new Universal film. Four months pre-pandemic was pretty normal. However, actually even four months was long pre-pandemic. was pretty normal. However, especially considering a crowded slate of films, uh, it just doesn't make much sense. Movies make 95% of their box office in the first month or so. Uh, It would basically just be sitting there those last two months. I understand Nolan is very traditional, but times are changing. Thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, so this is kind of a follow-up to a story that we covered yesterday that Christopher Nolan, of course, the biggest free agent in entertainment after leaving and having very public parting of the ways with Warner Brothers, the biggest free agent in all of entertainment, is taking his talents to Universal. And he's going to be uh, doing his next film about the guy who contributed to creating the atomic bomb. It sounds fascinating. I can't wait to see it. And he's taking it over to Universal. Now, one of the things that we knew was that there was a big bidding war. Everybody from, obviously, Warner Brothers was trying to retain him, so they were throwing offers at him. We know that Paramount was involved in it. We know very publicly Netflix was trying to get him to come over there saying, we'll do whatever it takes. We know Universal was involved. We know Sony was involved, but it turns out that he ultimately went with Universal. So the question then kind of becomes, what was that factor 
What was that one X thing that put Universal over the top that say maybe Universal or that maybe Warner Brothers wasn't willing to give him or that maybe Netflix wasn't willing to give him? What was that one thing? Well, we may now know what it was. 120-day window. That's crazy. This comes just from the folks over at Variety who writes, sources familiar with the negotiations say that Nolan asked for, though it is unclear if he will receive, an exclusive theatrical window between 90 to 120 days for the upcoming World War II epic. The film will likely stay on the big screen for a longer period than the 45-day frame that appears to have become the industry standard in the post-pandemic era. If you want to know, Rob, when a director has, you know, when you know when somebody walks into a room if they've got the biggest balls in the room. You know Christopher Nolan is the guy when he walks through, he's got the biggest balls in the room. Because there, I don't even know that Spielberg right now can go into a room and say, yeah, you want my next movie? Uh, give me a 120-day theatrical window. I don't even think Spielberg can do that right now. Yes, he can. I... I don't know that he can. I don't Did you know see that, any- that West Side Story trailer? He can. I don't know the West Side Story is going to do so great. I hope it does, but I don't know that Scorsese can. I don't know that Denis Villeneuve can. I, I think Christopher Nolan might be the only guy who can do it. And if you had asked me last week, I would have even said Christopher Nolan can't do that. Well, apparently Christopher Nolan thinks he can. And so he walks into Universal and says, you want my movie 120 days. Now, I get it. They're asking the question, Rob, you know, well, wait a minute. The movies make uh, like almost all their money in the first month. And movie theaters aren't going to keep this movie on their screens for four months. Movie like this, not up to the studio to decide that the the, stu- the theaters aren't going to keep, you know, a movie that's three and a half months old on the screen anymore. So what's the point of asking for 120 days? The point for Christopher Nolan asking for 90 to 120 days is not that he thinks this new World War II epic will continue to make big box office dollars, you know, in its uh, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 14th, 15th week. It's about exclusivity. It's about the notion of you want to watch this movie you got to be in theaters. And if you don't, there's a little extra long wait time. It's about highlighting the importance of the exclusivity of it. That's the thing that Nolan is looking at. It's not a matter of dollars and cents. It's not a matter of, I believe in day 110, we can still, still be pulling in $5 million a day. He knows that's not the case. What this is to him is... Because, you know, Nolan is a huge proponent of the theatrical experience. It's about the sanctity of the theatrical experience and adding in there that exclusivity. And I'm not going to lie to you, Rob. I like it. I like that he's pushing for that. I I just, I, again, I just think it highlights the gravitas of the film itself by having a longer release date. Now, how long will it end up being? Even Variety is saying it may it may or may not be 90 or 120 days, but it'll certainly be longer than, you know, the 45-day window. So, Rob, let me ask you this. Two big questions here. Question number one, uh, what do you think about Nolan, just in general, what do you think about Nolan asking for the 90 to 120 days and all that kind of stuff? And number two, and this is the one that fascinates me even more. If Nolan gets this, let's say they give him a 90-day window or 120-day window or whatever. 
Do you think that will embolden other directors to start putting in their deals that you want me to direct this? I want X amount of days or, or whatever. Because before, Rob, it just used to be standard. It was 90 days. It was just standard. Nobody had to negotiate for it. That's just what it was. If Nolan gets this, could this prompt other directors to ask for the same? So yeah, general what general feelings on the story and then what do you think could happen afterwards? Well, we're in a really interesting period of time. I mean, we're, we're seeing Paramount Pictures as a theatrical producing entity is being systematically dismantled on a day-by-day basis. And the fact is, the motion picture business has always been volatile. Wall Street, it was never a great bet. Studios were never a great bet because there was no definitive way to prove how much money they were going to make through each fiscal quarter. Every movie was a crapshoot. Now, with streaming services, there is a financial stability that studios never had before. Disney Plus has money coming in every month. And it has, from a, from a Wall Street point of view, a much more desirable mode of making money. And, and it doesn't matter theatrical. Theatrical doesn't matter anymore to the powers that be in terms of financial wherewithal. Problem is, the people that make movies, that make shows, like Christopher Nolan or Tarantino or even Spielberg, these are people that believe in the art of cinema. Well, the art of cinema is being taken away by the concerns of the next fiscal quarter. So we're now in a position where movie making and deal making are more diametrically opposed than ever because of the world of streaming. So a guy like Christopher Nolan knows that movies are inherently given value by being in the theater. The problem is with everybody shrinking even their theatrical windows down to 45 days, people are going to be used to that churning up. Movies aren't going to have the, you know, before John, movies could last in theaters 120 days because, you know, it would take a while for people to get to them. Families, people were at work. Nowadays, there's so much content coming at us from so many different directions that I don't believe that a 120-day window could at all, like you pointed out, be that viable. 45 days seems a bit short to me. I would have preferred 60. I think Christopher Nolan is asking for this, knowing he's not going to get it, but he'll at least be able to negotiate down and get a 60-day window. The real problem is, is will the movie going public support that window? When his movie doesn't do well 60 days out, well, that's proof positive that those long theatrical windows deserve to go away. But that's because it's not just theatrical windows that's changing. It's the entire business. It's the entire way people enjoy entertainment. So I think what he's trying to do is at least buy himself a guaranteed 60-day window, which is more than 45 days. So people know that when Christopher Nolan makes a movie, it's a theatrical event. If filmmakers aren't going to do that, how are people going to know it's ever at all worth turning out to go to the studios to see anything? If they're not, look, we've got, right now we've got Shang-Chi, great theatrical experience. We've got No Time to Die coming. We've got Dune coming. We've got hopefully Top Gun Maverick sometime in this millennia is going to come out. You know, these are theatrical experiences and we need somebody fighting for them. Whether he's going to get it, I don't know. Well, he's going to, he's definitely going to get something. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing though. Like even pre pandemic, 
maybe once a year in the 90-day window would a movie actually still be in theaters by the time it got to the 90 days. Like it was it's very very rare. Most most movies come and go probably within 6 weeks anyway. But it's just that, you know, the the studio or the theaters and everything they wanted it to still be an exclusive time so there it wasn't just immediate. Oh, there it is on streaming. And as far as the streaming economic model goes, I mean, I think what Disney is starting to figure out, and by the way, Disney is still, and granted, we're only about two years into the Disney Plus thing, so it's going to take longer turnaround time, absolutely. But right now, Disney still loses money on Disney Plus. They still spend more money on the creating content, the actual administration, the back end, all that kind of stuff, the inner workings, the, the system, everything. Now, Forbes did a great report on this. Like, they're still spending more money than they are getting on Disney+. Yep. Plus. That'll eventually change. But, like, what Disney, I think, is starting to figure out, and we've talked about this before, and what Christopher Nolan believes, and why I think Christopher Nolan is pushing for this, is, again— you're going to get this movie on streaming. It's going to come. It's going to come to streaming. But you can either choose to make a couple of hundred million dollars before it gets there, or you can throw that money out the window. Because it's eventually going to get onto streaming, and you're going to get the benefit of it being on streaming. And I think Disney is starting to figure that out. I think Warner Brothers, a year too late, is starting to figure that out. People like, and now you're seeing studios like Paramount that just don't have any kind of a, a back-end system like Warner Brothers does, like Disney does, kind of scrambling. So it's it's neat to see Nolan still fighting for that because he doesn't just think it's good for him, the artist. He thinks it's good for the business. He thinks it's good for the industry to go that way. So it's, I, I think you're right. It's going to be interesting. I don't think he's going to get the full 120 days. But obviously, Universal gave him something for him to sign the deal. It's going to be very interesting to see what that something is. I'm, you're guessing 60. You're probably right. I'm going to go a bit higher. I'm going to guess he got the 90. But you're probably going to be right. It's probably going to end up being 60. But we'll have to wait and see. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? That Christopher Nolan has the power to walk into a studio and say, I want a longer theatrical window than you give any other movie. Interesting move. What are your thoughts on this? Jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. Uh, and by the way, our friends uh, CH3SM sends in a super chat badge, as does Foundamentalist also sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. And our friend Ben Rayner does as well. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate that, dude. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets sent in to us by a man who writes, Hey, John and Rob, it looks like that October will be a great month for film fans. It certainly does. I know it's still early, but I wanted to know your opinion before you can watch a few early screenings. Dune, No Time to Die, Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, which we're going to be talking about here in a few minutes. The Last Duel, Halloween, Last Night in Soho, The Sopranos movie. This only just... This is only just a few movies that will be shown in October. What is yours and Rob most anticipated movies this month? And what will you expect to be the best movie? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And listen, I'm telling you, this is the month, Rob. Dude, dude. <laughs> this is the month. Rob, even pre-pandemic, the lineup for October, for this October, is insane. 
It's an insane, as you would often say, Rob, an embarrassment of riches if you're a My film God. fan for what we're getting. But in the pandemic era, like, yeah, we saw Shang-Chi have great success. We saw Free Guy have success. Okay, that's great. But this is going to be the first time in like a year and a half, almost, we're getting close to two years, that we are going to have what I would call a regular movie month. Yeah, we, we've had a, a couple of months where a few things come out, but this October is actually going to be what looks like, in appearance, a regular movie month. And can, right now, because I don't know if we're there yet with, with the where the pandemic's at and everything, but we're going to get an answer to the question of, can the industry sustain a regular movie month right now with multiple high-profile and anticipated movies? I don't know the answer to that question. I certainly think one or two of these movies can definitely have good success. But can there be... And Rob, let's let's call it right here. Let's, let's be real here. Even if we were living pre-pandemic, if you have seven big anticipated movies coming out, they're not all going to succeed, even pre-pandemic. You know, several of them will not, and I'm sure several several of them will not right now. But can we get a couple of hits out of this? That's going to be interesting to ask. So the question is, in this month of a lot of glorious riches coming out, what are our most anticipated? All right. Let's go through it here, shall we? Let's step into a uh, pseudo campia classroom here for a minute. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about most of it. First of all, I want to I want to give an honorable mention. First of all, how crazy this is how stacked this month is, Rob. You know how much I'm looking forward to this movie and it's not cracking my top 5 most anticipated. <laughs> my honorable mention is Halloween Kills. That's my honorable mention, and I'm super excited for this movie. I am. I can't wait to watch it. I really can't. All right. So with Halloween Kills down, here's my top five. At number five, it's the incredible Edgar Wright, Last Night in Soho. Again, this is an indication of how packed this month is. Because you know I'm a huge Edgar Wright fan. And you know I have loved the trailers for this movie. And I am so excited for it. And yet it comes in at number five. So my number five most anticipated movie right now for October is Last Night in Soho. Cannot wait. Okay, at number four, uh, The Many Saints of Newark. Uh, Rob, I, you and I were talking when the first trailer dropped for this, this first Sopranos trailer. And you and I were both like, wait a minute. Because, I mean, when they first said they were going to do it, I was like, Okay, a Sopranos movie without, you know, our real Tony Soprano. Oh, all right. And then that first trailer came out and I'm like, God, this has a 90s Scorsese kind of feel to it. And then the second trailer came out and I ate it up and I know you did too. So mm -hmm. my number four is Many Saints of Newark. My number three um, is The Last Duel. I was not all that excited. I mean, I was definitely intrigued when you heard that Ridley Scott, Academy Award winner Ridley Scott, was going to be directing a film based on a screenplay by Academy Award winning screenwriters Matt Damon and Ben Affleck that was going to have 
uh, uh, Cormier. It was going to have Affleck and Matt Damon in it. It was going to have Adam Driver in it. I was intrigued. I was certainly intrigued. But then that, again, that trailer came out and I just drooled, Rob. Drooled. I know. At at the notion of this. So my number three is The Last Duel. Number two, Venom, uh, Let There Be Carnage. I, you know me, Rob, I've, I've admitted this before. I've said this before. I am a bigger fan of, uh, I'm a bigger fan of uh, the first Venom movie than, than most people. I'm a bigger fan of the first Venom. I, I understand that. I mean, you look at the audience scores and the box office, obviously a lot of people like Venom. I think I liked it even more than most. And so then Andy Serkis came on board with it. I've loved the trailers. I can't wait. We're going to talk about Venom, Let There Be Carnage again here in a minute and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to say Let There Be Carnage uh, is uh, number two. Then I'm going to cheat, Rob. I'm going to cheat. Uh-oh. I'm going to go 1B. <laughs> and one B is no time to die. I, I mean, I I've been, dude, we've been talking about this movie since my 16th birthday. And I mean, seriously, we've, we've been talking about this movie for so long. Uh, cannot wait for this thing to come. Super stoked about it. Uh, what's, what's there left to say? They showed us this great 13 minute clip of it at CinemaCon. And we were just like, more, show us more. Could not believe how great the whole thing looked. And and there was that. And that leads us into uh, 1A, which is my most anticipated movie, not just for October, but probably for the entire rest of the year um, is, is Dune. And, and you guys know that what, what's there left to be said. You have one of, if not, maybe the best director at the height of his game right now, Denis Villeneuve directing it on some of the most iconic source material of all time. The cast looks fantastic. The trailers look like they nail the atmosphere and the DNA of Arrakis and what this movie should actually feel like. Um, I am losing my mind. This is going to be a best picture contender. So yeah, a little bit of a cheat there, a little bit of a cheat granted. Uh, so that's mine. Last night in Soho, many saints of Newark, last duel, Venom, let there be carnage, no time to die in Dune. Um, anyway, that's me. Dune is simply going to be, I, I still think Dune, and this is obviously, I haven't seen the film. So this is just wild, uh, prediction, wild, wild, completely unfounded prediction. But I think Dune is going to be the best picture winner at the Academy Awards. I'm just taking a wild. Now I may change. I may change my tune on that, Rob. Once we actually see it, I don't know. Maybe I won't even like it. But right now, my wild, completely baseless, wild prognostication is that Dune not only gets nominated for Best Picture of the Academy Awards, I'm going to guess it's going to be the Best Picture of the Academy Awards and win that award. <laughs> Again, ask me after I see the film, though. Rob, huge thing of riches coming out this month of October. We have coming here. What are the ones that are standing out to you the most that you are most excited about? Well, uh, my honorable mention is going to be Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Only really? because I was excited for it. But now hearing the the great word of mouth coming out, I, uh, I'm even more excited for it than I was. I, I liked Venom. I didn't love it. But this seems to be more up my alley. Um, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. 
My number five will be, is it last night, one night? Last night in Soho. Last night in Soho. Last night in Soho. I'm an Edgar Wright fan, although I do not love, um, um, why am I drawing a blank on the one I don't love? Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. I love Scott Uh, Pilgrim. I'm a big Edgar Wright fan, so last night in Soho. Uh, then many saints of Newark. I saw David Simon on, uh, was it Jimmy Kimmel, um, interview really interesting. He's not happy with day and date, uh, theatrical and HBO max premiere, because I think, can you imagine you're a guy that made a TV show and you finally get to make a movie and then they tell you, well, it's just going to be on HBO max series was in the first place. I'd be kind of annoyed by that too. Number, uh, I guess number three would be Dune for all the reasons you said. It's a lifelong love of mine. The book, love it, love it, love it. Uh, can't wait to see it. It looks spectacular. Denis Villeneuve. I mean, everything you've said, John, I agree wholeheartedly. Number two uh, that has moved up on my list. I, You know, Dune was a little bit in front of this movie, but things I've heard, things I know, no time to die. Oh, I took a guess and I was wrong. Okay. The new, oh, because I'm going to blow you away with my number one. People are going to be like, what? But uh, uh, No Time to Die, number two. Uh, you know, I'm a lifelong James Bond fan. This is the longest Bond film. It's the 25th official Bond movie. It's Daniel Craig's swan song. It was directed by Kerry Fukunaga, who directed True Detective season one, which I thought was one of the best things I've seen on television in the last 20 years. Can't wait for many, many reasons. It looks amazing. Can't wait to go. But my number one film in October is a French film called Titane, or as we might know it in America, Titanium. The second film from Julia de Cornau, who directed Raw. She took the Palm d'Or in Cannes this year. This is a body horror film that I cannot wait to see. Uh, people said it's the most disturbing movie of 2021. It goes back to early Cronenberg body horror, the way her first film raw did. And if you actually, I would say, don't go, don't go to Wikipedia and read what this movie's about. Don't read what it's about. I, I hate the fact that I did. I would just tell everybody to watch this movie. If you like true transgressive horror, I've been waiting to see a movie like this for years. And it is the number one film I didn't realize it was coming out in October. It might even be starting like on September 30th in some markets, but I consider it an October release. It is absolutely number one with the bullet. The first movie that I want to see. I wish I could see it right now, but I can't. And again, she won the Palm Door at the, uh, at the Cannes Film Festival in July of this year. Her first film was Raw. And if you've seen Raw, you'll kind of know it's not what the Eddie you're Murphy stand up comedy movie. No, no. So Titane, T-I-T-A-N-E, or the American title is Titanium. And uh, the second film from director Julia DeCornow. And boy, I can't wait to see it. All right. Just to highlight our top five lists, I cheated a little bit. My honorable mention is Halloween Kills. And, and I'm dying to see all of these films, by the way. My number five is Last Night in Soho. Number four, Many Saints of Newark. Number three, The Last Duel. Number two, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Number one, B, is No Time to Die. Number one, A, is Dune. Rob's list is number five, Last Night in Soho. Number four, Many Saints of Newark. Number three, Dune. Number two, No Time to Die. And number one, Titane or Titanium. 
Yeah, always uh, counter Rob to throw throw one out there that most people aren't talking about yet. Uh, but Rob, oh, look, but they will. The, <laughs> they the, will. The bottom line, though, here is whatever order you would put your most anticipated. What I think we can all agree is this is one hell of a month. This is one hell of a month that I cannot wait to get here. So now, Rob, let me throw this out to you. They also asked us, what do we think is going to be the best movie? Of well, that year. Well, there's, I have to point out that there's all kinds of crazy, weird indie movies. Like that 20, are also, 20 of them. Like 20 of them. Yeah, there's a movie coming out, dude, that uh, Frida Pinto and Orlando Bloom star in called Needle in a Time Stack. Uh, a devoted husband will stop at nothing to save its marriage when it's destroyed by a time traveling rival. <laughs> I'm like, come on. Who doesn't want to see that? I mean, I know I want to see that. There's so many cool movies coming out in October. So what do you think, going back to the, you know, the original question they put in. So we gave them our most anticipated. So the if French you had to go Dispatch list, is coming out. I mean, yeah, that's one that neither of us put on our list, which was kind, kind of odd. That French Dispatch, Wes Anderson film is not on either of our lists. But let me ask you, which of these ones, despite our anticipation, which one do you think is actually going to be the best movie that comes out this month? here's the thing i i honestly think that maybe the best movie that'll stand the test of time is going to be the many saints of newark and i i say that because um uh, uh, the fact that it's an evocation of a period piece it's original even though it's a, a sopranos prequel it's it's an original screenplay Whereas, you know, No Time to Die is the 25th Bond film. Dune is based on a novel. And even though there's the Sopranos TV series coming up with a prequel set in a whole different era, I think, and just what we've seen, in terms of what moviegoers love, like I think it's going to be the kind of movie that people, even if you've never seen The Sopranos, I'll bet it's great. And you, people will be watching this in 20 years. Not to say they won't be watching these other movies in 20 years, but you know, in terms of movies that resonate with people that you go back to and watch over and over and over again, I'll bet it's The Many Saints in Newark or Last Night in Soho. I'm I'm still going to stick with Dune. I still, I again, I can't make a bold prediction and say, I think Dune is going to win the best picture at the Academy Awards and then not say, I think it's going to be the best film that comes out. So I'm, I'm going to stay with Dune also, on this one. Also, I got to say, there's a, another horror film. There's so many horror movies coming out. There's a movie coming out called Antlers that yes. stars Jesse Plemons. Uh, I've been looking at this trailer. It seems like for years. No, no, it has. It, it's it's been years. It's been years, <laughs> and it looks great. It, it, it looks really I good. Think Guillermo del Toro was a producer on it or something. And uh, I want to see that, dude. I want to see Antlers. And then there's that A24 one. What's it called? Lamb. Is that coming out in October too? I believe that's coming out in October too. Yeah. Oh my God! I'm if you assuming, guys have you yeah. seen it with no, Numi Rapace? Numi Rapace, <laughs> yep. I, I mean, look, A twenty four. If you want go to weirdness and great horror, that's A twenty four. Come on, man, A twenty four. Give it up for the acquisitions people at A twenty four. By the way, um, uh, one of the viewers, then High Bats, uh, wrote in Frida Pinto because you brought up Frida Pinto. There it says Frida Pinto is so beautiful. I'll tell you what, I met Frida Pinto. 
did? Yeah, I, I got to meet her. I got to sit down and talk with her. It was for, uh, I believe it was for Immortals. The one she, mm. I think the one she did with Henry Cavill. And I got to sit, they, she came into the room where I was waiting for her. She came in the room to sit down. Now, there are certain human beings in this world that are so good looking that it changes your physiology almost like, listen, <laughs> I, I am a boringly straight heterosexual dude, but man, I remember when I met Javier Bardem, I was just like, fuck the universe for giving that guy those looks when I only get so like Javier, like some people think he's when you're in a room with Javier Bardem, like you're like that. What the hell? How is somebody that attractive? Like, that's just ridiculous. When Frida Pinto walks into a room, your blood pressure goes up. Like, she is so stunningly gorgeous that, like, I almost forgot how to speak. Like, I think it might have even taken, like, she came in and extended her hand to say hello. And I think if he, I was froze for a second, like, I, I had her hanging there for a second. I'm just like, and in my head, I'm like, Campia, reach out your hand and shake your hand. But I was like paralyzed. Like she's she's just that. So you get these people that are just that good looking and she's one of them. It's just kind of absolutely crazy. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this month of October? It is, without exaggeration, absolutely stacked. Which of these films are you looking forward to the most? Which ones do you think will be the best one? Whatever you guys are thinking, jump on down into the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move into our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Marcus. And Marcus writes, uh, and by the way, I just want to say, I I forgot to mention here, uh, shout out to a couple of our viewers, Savage McFilthy and uh, FPV Forever, sending super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you for that, guys. Appreciate that. Okay, now with that down, let's get to our fourth topic today. And our fourth topic today gets submitted to us by Marcus, who writes, Hi, John. Venom, Let There Be Carnage had its first screening tonight. And the first, this was last night, obviously. And the first reactions are overwhelmingly positive, with some praising its mind-blowing post-credit scene. While I know that this can be common for most early fan screenings, um, it's still nice to see. I'm absolutely stoked to see this. What are your thoughts? And bring on the filthy. Okay, man, thanks for sending that in. And, yep, the first public screening of Venom, Let There Be Carnage happened last night over in the UK. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier before, I am a big fan of Venom and I have been ludicrously excited for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I think the trailers will look fantastic. I love Andy Serkis. He came in to take over the director's chair of it. I just think, I think this is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. I just think this movie's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Well, according to the reactions of the people coming out and seeing this movie last night, the movie meets up to and exceeds all the hype. As a matter of fact, you know, very prominent online outlet, comicbookmovie.com, they're they're a big one. A lot of people love these guys. Their quote, okay, comicbookmovies.com's quote is this. It is that Carnage, Venom Let There Be Carnage, is the ultimate Marvel movie. That's, that's big, that's a big claim. 
So comicbookmovie.com is saying that Venom Let There Be Carnage is the ultimate Marvel movie. Uh, Again, super big claim, but very excited to hear that. But it wasn't just them. Uh, It wasn't just them at all. As a matter of fact, as we go through, let's look at some of these things. Uh, One Molly writes, Venom, uh, the fan first, absolutely buzzing from this film. It was so good. And it was honestly so amazing being able to see it, uh, which is great. Ben uh, Geekness writes, the biggest strength of Venom Let There Be Carnage is his fantastic pacing and exhilarating action, matching the kinetic energy Tom Hardy has with himself. Woody Harrelson is relishing as Cletus slash Carnage and is perfect for the role. And oh my God, stay for the credits. Emotionally Invested writes, I was lucky enough to be among the first to finally get to see Venom Let There Be Carnage. I adored it. The first Venom is my favorite of the modern MCU films. And Venom makes this uh, makes all the smart next steps, telling a very human and very beautiful story for Eddie Brock. Uh, Paul Holding writes, I just saw Venom Let There Be Carnage. You have to go see it. And got I got to meet the totally lovely Andy Serkis and saw Tom Hardy. Thank you, Sony Pictures. Uh, Neil Vag writes, Venom Let There Be Carnage is a frenzied mix of buddy movie, romance, Venom loves Eddie, and horror. It wastes no time in getting down to business and not relent. Hardy is on fire and uh, Woody Harrelson is carnage. Do not meet the credits. Sasha writes, uh, complete and utter perfect chaos. Go see the movie on October 15th. And we'll finish this off with Ready Cosplayer One who writes, well, I can wholeheartedly say Venom was absolute carnage. I loved it so much. Thank you, Cinema World, for having us. And there you go. Now, Rob, it's, you know, when you get these early events, there's this, there's this perception out there that these early events always have great positive reaction coming out. I've, I've, yeah. I looked back on these. That's simply not true. Do they lean a little bit more positive? Absolutely. But this is the type of reactions we saw people having coming out of Shang-Chi. And look how that turned out. Yeah. It's it's certainly encouraging to see. And again, comicbookmovie.com does not get swept up a lot in hyperbole. And for them to come out and say it's the ultimate Marvel movie. Now, I don't know that I'm going to think that when I see it, but I, I think it's very interesting that they felt that way. That's interesting. And what I also liked, Rob, because we talked the other day about the fact that news came out that Venom 2 actually has a 90-minute running time. And a lot of people bemoan that, oh, why can't... And my argument was, listen, if that's the right running time for this movie, it's if that's the movie, if that's the running time that makes this the best movie, the version of this movie that it can be, that gives it the best pacing and really makes it sing great. And it's really interesting to see a couple of the comments in here talking about the pacing of the film. That just goes and it's unrelenting and it just has this motion. That sounds great to me. Listen, am I going to like the movie as much as these people? Don't know. Won't know till I see it. But I love hearing people having this reaction. Again, this is very reminiscent. This feels a lot like the reactions people were having coming out of Shang-Chi. And if this movie can even be in the neighborhood of that, we got something pretty special on our hands. Anyway, Rob, you see all these reactions coming out for, for Venom. What do you think about them and and how does this adjust if it adjusts at all your expectations for the film? Well, I actually was really excited. I was more excited about this movie because Andy Serkis is directing it. And, you know, he he was a man. He's a man I always loved as as an actor. Then, of course, creating Gollum and working with Peter Jackson on both the Lord of the Rings films, then King Kong and then the Hobbit movies. Um, You know, I, I would assume he he had. And by the way, he's directed a few other films, too, before this. So he's somebody that's really learned his craft. And I'm thinking that with motion capture and 
having I couldn't think of a better person in Hollywood to direct this movie. So from a from a visionary standpoint, I'm like, you know what? I didn't love the first Venom, but they certainly have the best person in Hollywood to make this sequel. So I was kind of secretly hoping it would be great. Now, I don't care how long a movie is. I care about is it does it have great characters and is it well told? And to hear that this is a relentless roller coaster thrill ride. I mean, let's face it, John, this is not War and Peace or Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> this is Venom versus MF Carnage. And I want to see that. And if that's what Andy Circus gave us because he knows exactly what we want. I mean, he learned under the man who made Dead Alive and Meet the Feebles. And I'm like, yeah, man, bring this on. I am very excited to hear these reactions. I can't wait to see the film now. I, you know what? Even though I didn't, it was my, it's my, I was not, I, I, I because this is not something that's high art. You know, as I get older, I find myself less and less tolerant to these kinds of things. But if they're done well, you give me a monster mash. You give me two, two slugfest creatures like Venom and Carnage, whatever, going at one another. Who's beyond watching a great wrestling match, John, or a great <laughs> MMA fight? No one, no matter how old you are. And if they're giving us this, heck yeah, bring that stuff on, son. Juice, dude, that one shot in the trailer where they're in the, the church and they're facing off Carnage Venom either side and just Venom's like, oh, yeah, and he starts charging at Carnage and Carnage starts throwing all the spikes at him. It's like, I got to see this. Come on, I got come on. And, and you know what? Now I'm even more excited about the 90-minute runtime. Everybody's saying like it, it looks like it's all killer, no filler, and that's what something like this movie needs to be. It depends. I mean, all killer, no filler can be great if it's done right. Yes, yeah, if it's, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, I, I was talking on the uh, After Dark last night, Rob, about like the um, the uh, Braveheart director's commentary where Mel Gibson talks about the the act of having to cut scenes out of your movie. He's, he likens it, he's, it's like killing one of your children because you spend months as a filmmaker making these scenes and putting these scenes together, bringing cast and crew together to film them, to build the sets, all that kind of stuff. And then you're in the editing room and in two seconds, this this scene that you spent months developing in two seconds, you go, cut it out. But he said, you remember talking about it all has to be in service to the movie. Yep. And if cutting, if this scene might be great, but if it doesn't accomplish something that another scene already didn't already accomplish, if it's not really necessary to the story, blah, blah, blah. Is this movie going to be a better version of itself if I leave this in or will it be a better version of itself if I remove it? You got to do what's best for the movie. And if, if that's what you do and it ends up being a two and a half hour movie, great. And if that's what you do and it ends up being a 90 minute movie, great. It's about finding the right runtime for your story. And, uh, you know, some need to be three hours. Some need to be 90 minutes. So I don't know. I, I just, I am very, 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 very much looking forward to this. This sounds great Plus, to me. There's something else to consider too. I mean, when you're dealing with Venom and Carnage, you're dealing with very intricate, animation and effect sequences and there's two of these characters fighting so to make it as convincing as and as great as possible there's a lot of artistry by a lot of many different people working to make these scenes the best they can be and you know a shorter running time doesn't necessarily mean that it ain't going to deliver the goods to me yes. they've made a film that you're going to get a hundred percent the whole time and that's pretty to me i'm like i'm stoked dude i'm like all right 
my my estimation of this movie, my excitement has definitely gone way up. Yeah, me too. Anyway, I also just want a quick shout out to uh, Hulagoo79 who sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man, for that. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Like, again, just because you hear other people saying they love a movie doesn't mean you will. But in the world of is this good news or bad news? This has got to be considered good news if you're somebody who's looking forward to Venom. What are your thoughts on this? Jump on down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With all that down out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions. And once again, if you want to get a live comment or question right on the show or in an upcoming companion video, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Once again, you'll be getting your comment or questions right on the show if we consider it appropriate for the show. And of course, you're supporting the channel at the same time. And again, all of us here at the channel, thank you guys so much for your support. Okay. Let's get over to it, shall we? We're going to start things off here with McJesus, who writes, With all their budget, writer's talent, and three series uh, this year following high-profile Marvel characters, Disney is yet to surpass anything Netflix did with the Marvel characters, minus maybe Iron Fist. I'm really hoping what Kevin Feige brings uh, that brings them to the MCU. I completely, I mean, it's all subjective, McJesus. I respect your opinion on that. Your opinion on this is no more or less valid than my opinion. But in my opinion, I completely disagree. Uh, I think WandaVision uh, was definitely better than anything Netflix put out other than Daredevil. It was better than Jessica Jones. It was better than Luke Cage. It was better, certainly, than Iron Fist. It was better than Defenders. I would even say, you know, Loki and Falcon the Winter Soldier were better than everything that they put out other than Daredevil. Uh, I mean, that's just my opinion. Rob, I mean, look... They did a lot of good things. The 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 Netflix Marvel stuff they did, they did a lot of good things. I, I mean, Punisher was fantastic too. I loved Punisher. Both seasons of Punisher I did. But I don't know. I, I mean, McJesus is thinking nothing they've put out has been as good as the Netflix stuff other than Iron Fist. I disagree with that completely. What do you think? Uh... I think, I don't know. I mean, that's hard to say. Look, I like Jessica Jones a lot more. I thought Jessica Jones season one was quite uh, amazing. And, uh, but it's, it's up, definitely up there. It's absolutely up there. But I don't know if I could, how I would compare and contrast. I'd have to think about that a little more. Yeah, I, I didn't like Jessica Jones at all, to be honest with you. Season yeah, one, so I, I season loved two. it. A lot of people did. A lot of people did. All right. Spencer S. writes, I have to recommend the audio a- adaptation of The Sandman. It's amazing. The voice cast includes James McAvoy, Riz Ahmed, Kat Dennings, Taron Egerton, Andy Serkis, and more. Narrated by Neil Gaiman. Book one is free on Audible. Book two releases on the 22nd. Rob, I, I, I can't remember. Did you? I thought I remember you saying you actually listened to that. Did you listen to that audio adaptation of Sandman? Oh, John. The Sandman's my favorite comic series of all time. That audio adaptation that Neil Gaiman narrates himself is wonderful, wonderful. And I, you know, I grew up listening to the the CBS Radio Mystery Theater. I listened to it as a kid every night, and I love audio dramas. I love audio dramas, and that Sandman audio drama is incredible. It's like I think it's eleven hours long. A lot of people talking talking a lot about it's it. incredible all right next up ryan loner writes uh here's my crazy matrix theory all the stuff with neo and trinity is just in the first 10 minutes to send them off happy and then we get the real story where the one reborn is jessica henwick's character 
I, I don't know who or what that is, but Rob, buckle in. I think we're going to be getting an awful lot of uh, Matrix uh, theories coming in in the next little while. All right. The Super Korean Chop writes, Spider-Man No Way Home is coming, and I got a theory about about this. Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield nonsense. I believe when Alfred Molina shows up, Tom Holland swoops in, but Doc Ock doesn't see Tom Holland. Instead, he sees Tobey Maguire. Uh, same goes for Electro. Um... I don't know about that. Like, I mean, it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting theory that, you know, that with Doc Ock being brought into this reality, that he would still visually, his eyes would perceive his version of Spider-Man. It's an interesting theory, but I don't see how that would serve the movie at all. And I don't know how that would make any fans happy at all. So it's an interesting idea, Super Korean. And I'll tell you what, man, if it turns out that that's what they do, We'll remember that you said that. We will remember that you said that. All right. Super Korean also writes, one of my all-time favorites is John Legugazmo, uh, Leg- Legazamo. I watched him when, when I was growing up. However, uh, whenever he pops up in something, I can't help but smile from Super Mario Brothers to The Mandalorian. Are there any actors that give you any nostalgia like me? Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I think maybe the greatest line he ever said in movie history is, it was John Wick's car. <laughs> That's one of the great lines of all time, followed by, oh, <laughs> just one of the great moments ever. Um, are there any other actors like that? I mean, I've talked a lot on this show, Rob, about the actor David Morse, who's oh, yeah, been he's- in like some big, big major films like The Rock and many other things. But he's basically a guy that nobody knows his name. But when he pops up on screen, you recognize the dude. To me, he is the finest character actor in in the business. I really do. I really think he is the most talented dude in the business who is not a name. And so whenever I see guys like that pop up, it takes me out. Do you have a face or a name that does that for you? Um, There's so many. Uh, I like a character actor named Leland Orser. (laughs) <laughs> that he's been in a ton of things. Um, uh, but, but there's there's just, there's so many. David Morris is a good one, but um, I think one of the great character actors who's uh, left us, um, uh, and I uh, he he died, I don't know if he died of, a, uh, of a, a heart attack or if he died of cancer, but um, he was J.T. Walsh was one of my favorite character actors. And he was like, God, he was in a few good men. If you look him up, he was in everything. Like I'm a huge fan of the movie Tequila Sunrise with Kurt Russell, Michelle Pfeiffer and Mel Gibson from 1988. JT Walsh was in that JT Walsh was in a million different movies. I mean, he was in Sling Blade. He was in Pleasantville. Um, He was in Nixon. He was in Executive Decision. I, he was in Blue Chips, by the way, that's coming out on, on uh, Blu-ray, finally. Uh, I mean, he's you go back and you look at how he was in Good Morning Vietnam. The guy was amazing, and he left us way too, way too soon. 
All right, <clears throat> we get back to it here. Uh, we are get to the Batman who writes. One or two. John, I noticed you said you weren't familiar with my Batman Ego comic uh, written by uh, Darwin Cook. It's about Bruce confronting the Batman side of himself after many actions that have taken place where he begins to question himself. Uh, he learns how flawed and evil his Batman side is, and they begin to debate whether each other, uh, whether each other over with each other over who is right and wrong. Matt Reeves took a special interest in it as an inspiration when he talked about it uh, at DC Fandom. I highly recommend you check it out. Yeah, Rob, it was brought up the other day on the show. Somebody mentioned that some of the influences going into the new Matt Reeves Batman film, and somebody mentioned the ego storyline. And I was like, I'm actually not familiar with the ego storyline. That that's one I'm actually not familiar with. Uh, Rob, are you familiar with this storyline? Is that one that you've read yourself? Yeah, I have. I mean, again, I, it could be, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I, I want to take sort of a wait and see approach. I don't know how they're going to incorporate that, but I could see that being a part of it. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Next up, uh, nothing but the Batman writes, uh, John, I know you said CinemaCon footage, uh, was more of a look at the characters who will be in the Batman and you highlight a Catwoman, but was Riddler shown as well? Did you get a better look at him? Uh, I get Zodiac slash Saw vibes from this new Paul Dano Riddler. First of all, that is a perfect, perfect comparison to the vibes I'm getting as well. That, that Zodiac killer Saw vibes, that's totally what I'm getting as well. And the answer to your question about did they give us much Riddler in the CinemaCon footage? No. We, we got the same kind of quick glimpses that we got in the other footage that everybody's seen already, but they really didn't give us much more of that. I feel like they're keeping this one more under wraps, and I don't even know if they're going to give us much more of him uh, as we move forward in the uh, marketing of the film. I'm thinking they really, pardon me, they really want to keep this one secret. At least that's the feeling I'm getting right now. They may change that as we get closer to release, but not a lot there yet, and not a lot there yet. All right, the Batman also writes, John, I've been noticing that light green cup of yours. Yep, that's that's this one. That light green <laughs> cup of yours is always on the show with your ever uh, with you. Ever thought about a Batman cup? Hell, maybe even just put a couple of Batman stickers on the green one. Might pimp it out. Well, see, here's the thing. I actually have Rob. I think you know this. I have other cups. Yes. But the problem is, and I can't show it to you. Know, I'll pull it off my desk right now. It's like, I bought this. I love this. I bought this cup holder that clamps onto the edge of the desk so it doesn't take up any desk space. Wow, that's because cool. Where'd you get that? I, I want one of those. I think I just bought this off Amazon. It's, that's it just, awesome, It dude. saves me desk space. It's amazing. I love it. I want one. <laughs> uh, and you should get one. You totally should. So um, here's the thing, because I have, I used to use like all these big, DC mugs that has like all the characters and this big Marvel mugs and these big Darth Vader mugs. But the problem is they don't fit in this because they got the handle on it. Right. So I kind of went back to using uh, this cup holder because oh, it keeps man. my drink and it doesn't make any uh, watermarks on. Is that like a big clamp? It's it a big clamp. Up? It's just a big clamp and it sits right there on my desk and it's super convenient. Oh, now, I don't want to put, I don't want to put any stickers on. I want to keep it as un, I don't want to draw, draw attention to the cup. I want yeah. that link. Can you put that link in the, in the I'll show? Email so I'll email it to you. I'll email you the link. Hell yeah. I'll put it in the show notes one. after the show's done. I'll put John's cup clamp. It sounds like a sex toy. John's cup clamp. I'm going to put that in the description of the video. You guys can go and get one for yourself. Two YouTube pundits, one cup clamp. Yes. Oh, there's, 
There's a movie for you. All right. Uh, let's see here. Where are we now? We are also at the Batman Who Writes. John, your chat keeps on asking uh, Shang-Chi questions and not questions about me. Who the fuck is this guy? Apparently, I've been worried about the wrong guy, Spider-Man. Instead, all I hear about is Chi and his damn rings. Yeah, well, listen. Look, it's... Let's make no mistake about it. Rob, as great as Shang-Chi is, and it's great. I'm going to go for my seventh viewing on Friday night. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we already got it. We got our tickets. We're going for our seventh viewing on Friday night. Um, Shang Chi is still a massively unknown character. Shang Chi, if released at the same time, doesn't matter if it's as good as the movie, worse than the movie, or ten times better than the movie. If Shang Chi were to release at the same time as Spider Man or Batman. I mean, come on. Uh, people are going to go to the names they recognize. They're definitely going to go to see Spider-Man or Batman or things like that. So yeah. the release time for this movie, for Shang-Chi, was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Uh, but make no mistake about it, dude. Once they get into, uh, once we get to Spider-Man, people are going to be talking about Spider-Man, not Shang-Chi. By the time Batman <laughs> comes out, people are going to be talking about Batman, not Shang-Chi. So don't get- Eternals, man. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see. Eternals is another unknown one. I don't know that a lot of people are going to be talking about Eternals before it comes out, before word of mouth starts going around about it. I know. So we'll we'll see. And I hope we start. We get word of mouth about it pretty soon. At least uh, at least I hope we do. Uh, okay. Next up, uh, we go to an anonymous viewer who writes one of two. So I was reading more about Matrix 4, and there is an interesting dynamic. Lana Wachowski wanted to bring back Neo and Trinity back because of the death of her parents, and those two characters mean so much to her. On the other hand, Lily Wachowski stepped away from the project because of the complete uh, opposite. She felt there was no more story to tell, and she isn't in the right mindset to do this project. What are your thoughts? I mean... I, d- I don't know. Rob, you know me. I, first of all, oh, Rob disappeared. Where'd, where'd Rob go? Rob's not there anymore. He just kind of disappeared. I'll wait to see if Rob comes back at some point. Um, but Rob dropped out, apparently. Maybe he's... He, just so you know, uh, Rob has had some internet connection problems Um at his place. He's had some internet connections at uh, at his uh, at his place. So maybe he dropped out. I don't know. We'll see if he's able to come back online uh, or not. So, But for now, let's just keep moving here. Uh, you guys know I'm not at all. I have no belief in Matrix 4. I have no belief in this film. The trailer was utterly fantastic. I love the trailer. It was absolute top-notch trailer making. I... I I have never had a movie I was less excited about have a trailer come out that I was more excited about the trailer. Does that make any sense? I've never had a movie that I could care less about where a trailer actually just made me fall in love with the trailer. I still don't believe the movie's going to be any good. I hope I'm wrong about that. I'm going to go see it, keep my fingers crossed. I hope I love it. But I just have no reason to believe in it. That doesn't sound like a good reason to move forward with the movie to me. It sounds emotional and it really worries me because you guys know I've said one of the reasons why one of the reasons out of several of them that I'm not terribly excited about um, about uh, Matrix is the fact that only one of the Wachowskis came back to hear that one of the Wachowskis said there's really no more legitimate story to tell. That makes me really worried for this movie. That makes me really worried for the movie. So I don't know. Again, the trailer was 
utter glory. The trailer was fantastic. So we'll see how the movie actually turns out. Has Rob come back yet? Nope. I don't know. Rob's never looked better. I'm just kidding. Uh, Okay, so let's just keep on going here, guys, shall we? So the next up, uh, we will go, we're going to go over somebody who calls himself something else. All right, Jonathan writes, I think in, in this day and age, if a movie or TV novel has two main female characters, it has to pass the Bechtel test. That's not true at all. Too often, so many movies fail this test, which is disappointing. Your thoughts on the matter and without feeling forced, what can be done? No, look, the, the, for those of you who don't know, we talked about this on After Dark last night. The Bechtel test is is a really good eye-opening thing to... Now, the, the test is basically this. How much of this movie has two or more female characters in a scene where they're talking about something other than the male character? And I think that's a very good eye-opening kind of metric to put in front of us to really help us realize how, how often female characters are underserved in movies. It's good, but it's not a rule. There are some movies like Suicide Squad where it's not really a rule that can become applicable. You know what I mean? It's not a test you can just apply to any movie because there are some movies that really doesn't apply. It's a really neat kind of gauge. The test is a really neat gauge and has value, but uh, it does not apply to every movie. It, it just can't apply to every movie. So, no, I don't think every movie should have to meet those requirements. Uh, no, I don't think so. All right. Uh, Mark Nito writes, Hey, John, I just saw the announcement of the 50th anniversary of the show Hilarious House of Frankenstein. Dude, I think as a little kid, there would be reruns of that on. Anyway, you remember that old gem? Uh, wasn't Vincent Price a part of that? Anyway, also... What was the final tally for the second weekend for Shang-Chi? Thanks and have a great day. Well, you can always go and look that up on Box Office Mojo, but I believe it was the second weekend total was $35.8 million, which was a remarkably good 52% drop, which is amazing. Uh, so yeah, it came at 30, not the 40 like Box Office Pro projected, but you know, it came in 4.2 million off. It came in at 30, I believe it was 35.8. I believe it was 35.8. Okay, next up. We got Diego who writes, I just watched the first three episodes of Why the Last Man. All I have to say is if the rest of the season is as good as the first three episodes, then we are in for a damn treat. The representation of the show is incredible. Bravo FX. I will say this. Mm. I also, oh, Rob, you're back. There he is. (laughs) He's back. (laughs) Hulk unsnapped him back to our existence. Okay, anyway. So I I don't know, Rob, if you had a chance to see... um, the first three episodes, Hulu dropped the first three episodes of Why the Last Man. I've been very excited about checking this out. I am going to keep watching it. I'm not going to lie, though. I, I haven't loved the first three episodes. There's mm. certainly some interesting things there. There's a couple of characters I really dig. Um, it's it's definitely taking liberties from the original Matthew K. Vaughn uh, yeah. graphic novel and graphic book. It's, 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 look, it's an interesting start. It's very, it's filled with a lot of woe. <laughs> you know, and I don't mean like good Keanu Reeves, whoa. I mean like, oh, woe is, it's filled with a lot of woe. Um, and like, woe is me. Yeah. Like, woe is me kind of woe. And yeah. I think, and I don't know if Anne's going to watch anymore with me. She, she watched the first three. I I think there's still I think that for Diane Lane is awesome. I 
I found Yorick to be completely unlikable. Not that he's supposed to be the most charming guy in the world anyway, but I found Yorick to be very unlikable. Um, and it's when you really don't like your main character at all, it's difficult to get into it. Still, there's enough there to keep me watching. Rob, did you have a chance to watch uh, watch Why Yet? Yeah, and you know, I was a huge fan of the comic series. I read the whole series, and I think it's it's well done from a production standpoint. It's definitely watchable. But like you said, I I don't know if I'm buying it entirely. And Yorick, you know, he was like you said, I, I don't like him as much as I want to like him. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm watching it because I want to see where it goes because I did like the comic series. And I think it brings up a lot of fascinating issues, but I'm not buying the storytelling quite yet. There's a lot of plot points. I'm like, wait a minute, what? So we'll see, but it looks good. It's really well produced. It is. It is really well produced. Um, so let's see. Let's see where it goes. I got some hope. By the way, it. I I kicked my ether. My my uh, uh, router fell over. Oh, okay. I, well, I that was my fault. Well, I'm glad <laughs> we're able to get that, you back, everybody. All right. Uh, next up, an anonymous viewer writes: uh, Why the last man released the first three episodes? Just watched the first episode and liking the series so far. Wondering if you got a chance to watch it yet? Bring out the filthy and again, like we were just talking about. You did see it. I'm intrigued. There's enough there to keep me watching. I'm not in love with it yet, but let's see where it goes. Filthy Canadian writes, Benedict Cumberbatch said in an interview that John Watts, uh, that's the director of Spider-Man No Way Home, is good with directing kids. Could Marvel have hired him for Fantastic Four for the same reason? Maybe younger Fantastic Four? No. That, no. That's nothing. The new Fantastic Four aren't going to be the Muppet Babies, so... No, I don't think that will have anything to do with that whatsoever. All right, next up, Ryan White writes, I noticed you said you didn't like any of the Halloween movies except for Halloween 2018. Yes. Uh, John Carpenter's 1978 Halloween is one of the greatest horror slasher movies of all time, in my opinion. Can you please tell me why the movie didn't work for you? Yeah, it was slow. It was boring. It wasn't scary at all. And it doesn't stand up to the test of time. It's not good. Now, Rob, I, I can feel through the internet. I can feel your, yeah. yes, let the anger roll through you. I can feel the, the rage going through. Uh, and again, I don't like saying that. I wish I could be one of the cool kids and say I still really love it. It's just that about 12, 13, 14 years ago, because I hadn't seen the original Halloween since since I was a little kid, right? About 12, 13, 14 years ago, a friend of mine named Serena, she held uh, a movie night at her place and a bunch of us went over and the movie, she's big into horror and the movie was the original Halloween. I'm like, cool. And I sat down, I remember watching going, yeah, this doesn't hold up at all. I I didn't I never I don't I didn't think anything about it was good or memorable. I didn't find it scary. I didn't think Michael was all that interesting of a character in it. it just, and again, listen, I fully acknowledge I am completely in the minority on this. I totally acknowledge that most people love it. It's an all-time classic. I get it. And I don't like saying unpopular things. But I mean, I have to be honest. Uh, yeah, no, nothing about it worked for me. Anyway, Rob, uh, obviously, I got to let you respond to that. So. <laughs> well, look, look, I do feel that if you watch Halloween, the original Halloween now, I would say the word that comes to mind first is quaint. Mm. Uh, it's basically a bloodless film. Uh, it, it set a lot of a lot of 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 tropes that have been followed. But I think that there was something. Uh, and it's very simple. It doesn't have a sprawling story. It basically takes place 
a, on a street across the street from two different houses. You know, there's not a lot of large scope to it. Um, but it, 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 I think it, it still works like a nightmare. You know, it works. It's not histrionic. It's in a way it's almost quiet in its horror. And, um, I, I think it's a masterclass in building suspense. There's a lot of really, to me, really memorable moments in it. But nowadays, you know, it came out in 1978. So we're, what is it, 43 years on from it. It almost seems like a child's movie. And I completely understand that. I completely understand people saying just doesn't work for me because now if you look at where horror has come now, um, it, it, I mean, one of my other favorite movies from the era is Phantasm, and it also seems like a kid's movie. But when I saw it, it was like, oh, my God. But now it's just history is kind of, you know, left it in its wake. But Halloween, the Halloween looms large. I mean, the trailer for Halloween Kills has like 10 times as many people die than die in all of Halloween. So I, I get it. Yeah, And, you know, the, I go back to some other films there because to me, you go back. I remember about a year ago, because Anne had never watched it and she wanted to watch it. We sat down and watched the original Jaws. And I I remember watching that and going, this film holds up. I mean, obviously, yep. would the effects today look better and all that kind of stuff? Yes, but that movie today is still completely terrifying, completely stress-inducing, incredible, memorable moments. Sleep and I want to go home, boom, 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 tired and I want to go to bed. Like that whole scene, and then you see the boy come up in the water. And then, like, it's just, ah! And then, and then as Quint is telling the story of, of the ship that went down, it's like everything, it still holds up so perfectly, and uh, some do, some don't. I like the way you described it, Rob. I, think, I, I like the way you put that out there. Okay, uh, next up. Uh, we've got this just came to me writes uh, without giving any real spoilers in the Shang-Chi forest scene. We get aerial camera angles and we know he has a helicopter. Why not just fly over wherever he wants? I know thinking too realistically, it's for a fun movie, but this just dawned on me. You know, I can't get into spoilers. All we'll say is this. There's a very big narrative, obvious reason why that's not why they, why that couldn't happen in the movie. There's a very big narrative reason for that. And that's actually pretty obvious and I can't answer it out loud, but I'll let you think of it for yourself there. Anyway, some dude writes, you keep saying that you believe Andrew and Toby will be in no way home based on everything I've seen. What exactly have you seen that convinces you despite no credible proof? Um, I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to go into it. Look, all I'm saying is, and I don't want anybody to read too much into this. All I'm saying is that, um, yes, do I believe that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire will be or appear in Spider-Man No Way Home? Yes. Is there actually any real tangible proof out there that that's the case? No. But I believe they'll be in it. Why specifically I believe it, I won't discuss. But I believe they will be. I'm just saying, you know, if they if it, we watch the movie and it's they're not in there, I'm not going to be terribly surprised because there's no actual real credible proof on it. So that's all I'm saying. And I can't go into it more than that. All right. Uh, next up, Suthius writes, Mr. C, I hope you're seeing uh, this to answer. Would love to hear your thoughts. I'm not sure if this exists out there, but here's my suggestion on how. Oh, good. Oh, good. Rob, we've never had one of these before. How, uh, how does the X-Men come into the MCU theory? 
Never had one of those. I just, I'm busting your chops, Suthius. I'm busting your chops. All right. So let's, let's go into it here. Uh, here's my suggestion on how the X-Men could be introduced. Since it's in the MCU, why not use one of its events as an origin for Eric? Uh, why not use the actual blip as trauma for Eric and how he saw uh, the way people treated each other, whether immediately after the dusting or immediately after everyone was brought back? I'm sure during these times, people treated each other like dogs. And since the events of the Eternals takes place, Days after everyone was brought back, the deviants could be what brings about the emergence of mutants. As for the X-Men movie itself, uh, that we'll get uh, in a few years. Just place it 30 or 40 years into the future. Uh, this way, they stay in the main MCU timeline without having to use multiverse to explain their existence. Until that movie comes out, Feige could just sprinkle in some mutant flavor here and there that leads up to a movie. What do you think? Uh, Suthius? Uh, listen, you know, I, I love most of the stuff that you submit in here, but I, I don't like that idea at all. What's the point of having the X-Men? What's the point of having the X-Men in the MCU if you're just going to set the X-Men movies 30 or 40 years in the future? Then you might as well just create a separate universe for them to be in where they have the universe to themselves and they are truly unique in that universe, right? Um but, I mean, as far as everything else, like, can they use the blip? Can they do this? Can they do that? Have they always been there? Have they never been there? Do they have to be brought in for multiverse? Is there something else? I mean, I I don't know. I, I, right now, Rob, we've heard every single theory from here to the North Pole five times over. And I still have not heard one that I think is a good theory. I've not heard one good theory. Nor have I come up with any good theories. I haven't, I haven't come up with any. Everybody's theories are... Every bit as good as mine, because I have none. I, I don't have any, but I've yet to hear any that I think is actually a legitimately good theory. Um, and that's why I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Kevin Feige comes up with. And the way, Look, Rob, I think the one thing we can all agree on is this. No matter what mechanism Kevin Feige uses to bring in X-Men, it's going to have problems. And, and we're all just going to have to accept that. Any mechanism he uses to bring the X-Men in is going to have some kind of problem to it. I don't believe there's any perfect answer. You could do this way. Yeah, but if you do it that way, it raises questions about this, 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 and this. Okay, well, you could do it that way. Yes, you can. And that addresses some issues, but it also has some of its own issues. It's just, it's going to be interesting to see how he does it. And um, now your theory basically is predicated on the idea that they've always been there. They've just been quietly at the Charles Xavier School for the Gifted. Well, just like Wakanda. You know, Wakanda was was there, and and the the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't know about it. Even when we were watching Black Panther at the end, I love at the end when the senator says to T'Challa, so what would a, like, agrarian a, farming a, a community— A nation of farmers have to offer A nation of farmers have to offer the world— <laughs> I mean, and I'm like, look, man, if Wakanda was secret in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what, you think a bunch of mutants couldn't be hiding? But, but, okay, but the difference between those two scenarios is this, is that having Wakanda there and hiding, none of that messes with the history and mythology of Wakanda and Black Panther and anything like that, right? right. Whereas with, with X-Men, it becomes more problematic. So there are pragmatic ways to just bring them in but it will be at the cost of something. Like, that's the thing. Every theory I've heard so far has some viability, but it comes with a price tag. It comes with having yes. to either sacrifice this or that. And I just don't know that there is one option that's going to come for free. You know what I mean? One option that answers all the questions. It's not going to be, and won't have to sacrifice anything as far as the history or the mythology or whatever. Haven't seen that yet. 
And it's going to be great. But listen, and Kevin Feige, we trust, and let's see what he comes up with. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Remmer Bulldog, who writes, Hey, John, I have been noticing that the MCU has such high expectations for their movies and TV shows that if something's not great or fantastic, it's considered a disappointment. I'm just curious what you think about that. Yeah, it's true. It's called being the victim of your own success. I mean, when when you are... When you just fire at such an incredibly high level all the time, when you put out something that is okay, it feels very disappointing. Like when LeBron James scores 19 points, I mean, for a lot of NBA players, 19 points is a really good night. If you're LeBron James or Steph Curry or the Greek Freak or, you know, one of these guys... Uh, that's that's considered a just that's considered a letdown, even though it's actually a good night. You score 19 points, it's a good night. But if you're one of those guys, it's considered, oh, you know, <laughs> what was wrong with you tonight, Steph? What are you talking about? I scored 19 points. Ah, yeah. So what was wrong? Did you break a toe? Did you have gas? I mean, oh, what's going on? Right. <laughs> and that's the thing with um with the MCU right now, Rob, because like even me, right? I, Falcon the Winter Soldier was perfectly good. Loki was good. Uh, Black Widow was good. But, like, even for me, I'm just used to the MCU firing on a much higher level. And so when, when you deliver three very serviceable, perfectly good, perfectly fine pieces of content, whereas a lot of other studios would consider those wins, for me, it's like, eh, Eh, I, 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 because I've just come to expect better from the MCU, which was really great when I saw Shang-Chi. It's like, okay, now we're getting back to the level they should be at. But Rob, I, I call it being a victim of your own success. Maybe that can be called entitlement. <laughs> like the audience, we get served this, this, this embarrassment of riches, and then we become, we're entitled to top-notch, absolutely highest, you know, uh, the highest caliber stuff possible every single time out. I don't know. How do you address that? Uh, because it's a great point Remmer's bringing up. How do you address that? Well, I mean, you know, we've gotten so used to getting a lot of great stuff. And, and I think our level of expectation is at the highest level it could possibly be. And like the whole, the whole basketball analogy is I think a really good one. You know, like when I was growing up, I took joy in low budget B movies that I knew weren't particularly good, but there was something in them that I liked. And, you know, now we're getting I mean, dude, after Infinity War and Endgame, like, can somebody go back and watch like an intimate story about a man discovering or her, a woman discovering her own little powers and enjoy a, a, an intimate story like that? Say a, a mutant coming out story like I, I, I. I <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it doesn't all have to be at 11. You know, this goes to 11. It doesn't all have to be that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at Shang-Chi, right? I mean, Shang-Chi is a story about a guy, about one guy. It's really a a, a father-son drama and stuff like that. It's just that they executed it at such a great level. You know what I mean? Dude, that's, that's the key. It's the execution. You know, can you make a story? Great. You can make a story about one guy. Like we talked about Locke the other day, Tom Hardy in a car talking on the phone. Yeah. That's the entire movie. And yet it's, you can't take your eyes off it. Yep. 
Absolutely. By the way, side note, did, I, I just curious, did you see the newest episode of What If? The zombie episode? No, no, that was last oh, week's no, episode. Oh, no, oh, no, I have no, Oh, right. I always forget you can watch What If on Tuesday nights Tuesday at midnight. midnight. Um, not, I, I not have no, great. I, not, oh. Not great. It, it's, oh. it may have replaced, I think, the worst one. It may have replaced the Captain Carter one as the worst one so far. I oh, got to no. say, I have not loved this series. I have not loved this series. There, there's a couple of episodes I thought were quite good. I, I thought the one with um, with Hank Pym, like taking out the Avengers. I, I like that one. I thought that was really interesting. The Doctor Strange one was great. I love the Doctor Strange one. I think that might be my favorite. It's it's that or the Hank Pym one are right up there for me. I, I mean those those two ones are great. The one with T'Challa was pretty good. I, I like that one. But then you got the Captain Carter one, which I did not like, and then you got last night's one that was with Killmonger. And I, uh, uh whatever it, it is, what it is. All right. Um, okay. Let's see. Next up, we have McLovin writes. One of three. Hi, John. So as we have seen in both versions of the Justice League movies, the Olympian gods make an appearance and we saw how truly powerful some of them are. Zeus himself in a single shot undid the unity and separated the mother boxes with little effort, a feat that took both Superman and Cyborg giving maximum effort to accomplish. If Shazam's name holds true, he has the power of at least two Olympian gods, including Zeus, a Titan who rivals the gods and a few demigods is a fully realized peaked power suit Shazam, uh, the most powerful being in the DC cinematic universe, even more than Superman. If, um, if it's by the thinnest of margins, totally unrelated agents of shield is the in and out burger of TV shows, complete garbage. Anyway, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. McLovin. What? How um, dare you diss in and out burger uh, in and out. You know what? Yeah. No, honestly, want to know something? Want to know something? All you damn in and out burger fans. Okay, here's some real talk, all right? Here's some real talk. So when Ann and I went to Frankenson's when I got my Captain America hot toy, right? We were like, okay, we got to get something to eat. And she goes, where do you feel like going? And I noticed there's an in and out burger. Ann loves in and out. And we never get to go because I hate that place. It's just shit. It's but I, so say, good. I say, you know what? We haven't gone there in a while. I know you love it. Let's go and get it. So I ordered. I ordered a couple of things. As I bite into it, the first senses I get are these fucking four-day-old stale buns. As my teeth start to crunch through these stale buns. And so it's like, uh, immediately I'm like, this is garbage. This is garbage. I, 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 and get it. Everybody in California loves In-N-Out Burger. They all like, it's like a religion out here. In and out burger, in and out burger. And I, you know, what reminds me of, I, I can't remember if you watch Parks and Rec, but for those of you guys who watch Parks and Rec, remember little Sebastian on Parks and Rec and like the whole town of Pony just falls over themselves over the pony little Sebastian, right? But the, uh, but Adam Scott's character, he's like, it's, it's a pony. What, what? Why is it's why is everybody, you know, that's how I feel like living in California about In-N-Out Burger. It's like In-N-Out Burger is little Sebastian and I'm Adam Scott's character going, what the hell is, why are you all tripping over yourselves with this? But you're, you're a fan of the In-N-Out, Rob. You're a fan of the In-N-Out? Yes? I love In-N-Out. And my favorite In-N-Out, let me tell you what my favorite In-N-Out is, John. My favorite In-N-Out is a four by four. 
four pieces of meat, four pieces of cheese. I mean, that sounds Look, delicious. It's like a heart, heart attack waiting to happen, but it's amazing. And I got to tell you, you know, even if you read Fast Food Nation, that book, Fast Food Nation. Yes. Um, the one the one the one um, fast food chain that Fast Food Nation talks about as being legit is in and out Burger because of all their fresh produce, their fresh potatoes and all of the uh, and the way they treat their employees. I'm telling you, in and out Burger is the, is the bomb diggity, yo. Oh, anyway, to the real question. Shazam and Superman. You know, it's it's interesting because even like various comic stories have addressed this. Like even if you go into something like Kingdom Come, where like Shazam is the issue. I mean, that's that's the issue uh, that Superman has to 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 figure out. I I don't know. I I don't think Shazam is more powerful than Superman. I don't think. I mean, even in if you go to Injustice Gods Among Us, I mean, ultimately Superman murders Shazam um, pretty easily. So have, I don't think they do. What do you think, Rob? I mean, to be all, to be in, in all seriousness, have you read Kingdom Come? Yes. Okay. The the what I really do love is, of course, Superman is is magic affects Superman. Yeah. And Shazam's pow- Captain Mar- I, Cap- Shazam's powers retcon it all, but they are derived via magic. So there is a there is a school of thought that would say that Shazam could defeat Superman. Perhaps. Maybe. And that's why I think the end of Kingdom Come, that battle is so spectacular. Yeah, he could beat him. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Next up, we'll do one more with Rob still here with us. Patrick Conway writes. Can we talk about In-N-Out Burger some more? Oh, God. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> oh. You've really I, got me, man. You really got I'm me. I'm not going to say I'd rather have ketchup and eggs. I wouldn't. I, oh. I, I, at its best of times, In-N-Out Burger is edible. But, man, my wife loves it and loves it because she's like every other Californian that way. All right. Patrick Conway writes. I really like the Hawkeye trailer, but I can but I can get it not being for everyone. I love the 80s action Christmas movie slash Shane Black vibes. The second trailer will be more more story focused and have more a more serious tone. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what because again, Rob, like I said, I I totally believe this is going to be a good series. I totally believe this is going to be good. I just didn't like the trailer. That's all. The trailer mm. did not work for me. It was a little, like I said, to me, it was too much the manifestation of every DC fan's complaints about the MCU made manifest. That's how it came across <laughs> to me. I know a lot of people liked it, and that's great. And again, I'm sure the show's going to be good. I'm excited. Uh, I'm, well, I'm not going to say I'm excited, but I am looking forward to watching the show. I'm a huge Jeremy Renner fan. And so, um, yeah, and Haley Steinfeld, I love her. So I, I'm looking forward to the show. I, I am. I just, just didn't like the trailer, but we talked about that the other day. All right. Uh, let's do, let's do this one with Rob still here. Yaz writes one of 30. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to guess that's a joke, John. This is how you bring the X-Men into the MCU. You let Feige handle it. <laughs> just kidding. Um, do you think Warner brothers is happier with suicide squad that made money, but most hated or the suicide squad that was well received, but flopped. You can't put a price tag on good, uh, on goodwill, I guess. That's a really good question, Yaz. Because, Rob, we do have two diametrically opposed scenarios here. 
One Suicide Squad, the fans and critics didn't really like. Although I I got a kick out of the first Suicide Squad movie. I did. I admit it. I like it. I had fun with it. But most critics and audiences didn't like it. But it made a lot of money. The Suicide Squad, the new one, critics and audiences really loved. But it flopped hard. Like, real hard. Like, even if the pandemic wasn't here, which certainly affected it, it flopped. Like, even if HBO Max didn't release it on day and date, well, it would have done much better, but still probably would have lost money. I think there's an argument to be made that if The Suicide Squad, the new one, was made in such a way that you felt like you instantly had a future franchise on your hands, even if it lost some money, I think Warner Brothers would have been happier with the new Suicide Squad. But it flops so hard that unless Discovery and the CEO of Discovery, once they take over Warner Brothers, decides to give it another go, it flops so hard that I don't think they look at it as a future franchise. And that being the circumstances, they're probably happier with the not-so-good Suicide Squad movie that made them lots of money. Like I said, I think if they felt like they lost money on this Suicide Squad, but it gave them the potential for a future franchise that could go on for many years making the money, they would have been happier with this one. But I don't think it flops so hard. I don't think that's a possibility, really, unless the CEO of Discovery has a different opinion, which I hope he does. But I think they're business people. I think they are happier with the first Suicide Squad that made them a lot of money. Rob, what do you think the answer to that is? Well, look, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I was, I felt the first Suicide Squad was one of the most horribly edited films that I've ever seen in my life. I could barely watch it. And I understood that, you know, people really liked it. And it made, what, $750 million or something? You know, it made a lot of money. And I loved The Suicide Squad. But you know what? The Suicide Squad felt like Slither to me, and I loved it for it. I love Slither. <laughs> I, I, I loved Slither, and I'm like, it It gave me that that indie James Gunn vibe that I was seeking, and I sued Starro, but it cost, what, 700, uh, it cost $170 million? Somewhere around that neighborhood. And it's just academic. Unfortunately, as much as I enjoyed James Gunn's vision for the film, and I, I really had so much fun with it. They're never going to make a sequel to that movie, although they kind of already have in Peacemaker. And maybe, maybe if Peacemaker is a big hit, it'll be the de facto Suicide Squad sequel that we all might want because they can bring characters back and carry on storylines, especially if it goes into multiple seasons. All right, Rob. Well, I know we took you overtime here today. Thanks a lot for being here as always. Where can people follow you and your goodness online? Well, when I haven't kicked out my Ethernet cable that came out of my router, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett, or you can find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. And uh, what, there's a certain big Florida opening for a certain movie, is there oh, not? Oh, that is true. Our low-budget indie darling that keeps going is opening in Miami and all through South Beach. It's opening in uh, in Palm Springs and in Scottsdale, Arizona this week. Why Scottsdale? I don't know, but I love you for it. Uh, Tango Shalom, the indie Jewish spiritual quest family dance comedy fable that you didn't even ever know you would ever want to see. But you do want to see it, let me tell you. 
All right, Rob, congrats on that. And uh, thanks again. And we will talk to you later, my man. Have a good one. All right, sir. And in and out Burger, try it again uh, one more time. Uh, Come on, one more, one more. Uh, no, no. If I want to chew on their stale buns, I'll just grab a rock. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. All right, guys, we still got a little bit of time here. So let's keep on rolling through more of your questions, shall we? We're going to go to Bullseye, who writes, this will be the first year that my family is together for Christmas in over a decade. To see that Hawkeye is set during Christmas and will premiere from Thanksgiving until then made me feel so happy. The trailer put a smile on my face. I can't wait. Yeah, listen, again, I honestly didn't like the trailer. Uh, It wasn't for me, but I am looking forward to seeing it. I really am. And by the way, um, Rogers, the musical, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Anyway, I wasn't able to be, uh, with my family last Christmas either because of pandemic. So I'm really looking forward to being with my family this Christmas. So I'm glad you're going to be able to have that bullseye. All right. Jesse C writes part one. I wanted to watch a new sci-fi show. I remember you mentioning Battlestar Galactica and how much you liked it. It is my all time. Number one favorite show. The, the Ronald Moore Battlestar Galactica, uh, the more recent one is my number one head and shoulders above everything else to me, the best television series in history to me. Anyway, I remember you mentioning Battlestar Galactica and how much you liked it, but I've always thought it was just a cheap looking 2000s show. Wow. Was I wrong? I watched the miniseries uh, first since when I started the show, it shows previously on, and the first part is incredible. Barely any action in the first part, but I was on edge just wondering what's going to happen. How are they going to get out of this? Adama is such a great character. One of the greatest characters in TV history is Admiral Adama. Uh, such a great character. I'm excited to watch the full show now. Um, oh, that, that, I'm excited to watch the full show now. Jesse, my friend, you will not be disappointed. You will not be so disappointed. Like again, to me, it's the greatest show of all time. Uh, my top three are Battlestar Galactica, and then in no particular order, the next two are the Stars series Spartacus, which of course one of the stars of that was Aaron Cummings, and uh, Sons of Anarchy. And then I have a bunch of other great shows in my top ten. But to me, Battlestar Galactica, greatest one ever. I'm glad you're checking it out, and I'm glad you're enjoying it, my friend. All right, next up, we got uh, from the mouth of madness writes. It's true. Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland are starring in a movie together, along with Spider-Pig, who's playing the baby in the movie, Three Men and a Baby. It was either Ben Platt or Spider-Pig, but Ben Platt really wanted the part. Ah, the Ben Platt jokes are never going to get tired. I am still looking forward very much to seeing Dear Evan Hansen, so we'll see how that goes. Thanks for sharing that from the mouth. All right, BK Dan writes, John, with all the time hopping around and such lost track, what year would you say it is in the current MCU timeline? 2021, 2026. Didn't we have a five years in between end of Infinity War uh, and end of Endgame? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't heard Kevin Feige specifically address this in a while. My guess right now, at any rate, my guess is that it's 2025 or 2026. There have been some things mentioned here and there. I've seen some people mention 2024. I've seen some some other things. My guess is going to be, but I haven't heard Kevin Feige specifically say the year, the current year in the MCU is this. 
So I'm going to go with 2026, but you know, we'll see. Uh, by the way, our friend BK Dan sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, BK. Appreciate that, man. All right. Uh, BK also writes, John, this is just an early celebration tip for a quarter of a million subs. I remember like it was only a few months ago. You had 90,000 subscribers when I subscribed. Congratulations. Bring on the, bring on the filthy to 1 million plus. Yeah. I don't know that my channel is ever going to get a million subscribers. I just don't do the type of content that's going to get a million subscribers. I, that's just not what I do. And I'm perfectly fine with that. That's my choice. But yeah, it looks like in the next week or so, we should be crossing a quarter million subscribers, which I, I never thought we would get to. But yeah, I, I think we just passed either 248 or 249,000 subscribers. It's weird. You know, I never, I never do the YouTube thing, which I totally should. I never do the YouTube thing where I say, Hey everybody smash that subscribe button and hit the thumbs up. And I, I very rarely, 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 rarely do that. And all the YouTube rules say you should do that every single video, but I don't, I should, but I just never think to do it anyway. Uh, it would be great. Uh, it would be, uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be really fun hitting a quarter million subscribers, um, which again, I was just, I was dreaming when I broke off and decided just to do my own little YouTube channel. I thought I, I'll be super happy if I could just, uh, if I could hit a hundred thousand subscribers, if I can get that hundred thousand subscribers and I can, you can see it right there, see that. And I can get that YouTube plaque that YouTube would sends out to, YouTube creators who hit 100,000 subscribers, I get that silver YouTube play button thing. If I can just get that, uh, I'll be happy. But uh, yeah, heading into 250,000. I mean, look, the reality is this. Subscriber count is really not that important of a figure. Um, it's really not that important of a, of a number at all. Because it's high number of subscribers doesn't automatically equal a high number of uh, views. Views are far more important. And I remember, like, even when I said AMC or Collider, like, there would be channels that literally had five times the number of subscribers that we had. But we had almost double the amount of views per month that that channel had. So, yeah, subscribers... I mean, it's great. It's fun. I will definitely be having a little celebration when we do cross a quarter of a million subscribers. Absolutely. It's a milestone and I'm very happy for it. But at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. Like there are many channels that have more subscribers than I do, but I get way more views. There are channels that have less subscribers than I do that get more views than me, right? So it's not the be all and end all metric, but it is it's, it's a, it's a nice milestone. It really is. And, uh, yeah, when we cross that quarter million, uh, Ann and I will probably go out, have a celebration dinner or something like that. And, uh, thank you to all of you guys who subscribe to the channel and, uh, and for being a part of that. I really appreciate that guys. Uh, let's see, let's move on here. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that, man. Okay. Uh, next up we go to BK Dan again, who writes John and especially Rob just miss Rob. Did you guys see that the new God of war Ragnarok has a fat Thor, same as Endgame? Yeah. But here's the thing. When you actually look back at the traditional, um, renders uh, renditions of what Thor was like back to like the actual traditional ones, Thor is not this bodybuilder, whatever, like in the comics he is. But if you go back to some of the older renditions of life of the mythology of Thor, 
he's this big Norwegian dude. He's this big, he's the, he's a big Viking. That's what he is. So that one actually felt a little more true to the mythology of Thor. So cannot wait, cannot wait for uh, God of war. That's going to be great. All right. Next up Mortiz from, uh, from Austria writes, Hey, John and Rob love the show. Thank you so much. Mortiz or Moritz. Sorry, not Mortiz, Moritz. Um, Love the show. I live in Brussels. Cool. Right now. And today I'm seeing Dune and IMAX. So jealous you guys are getting to see Dune now. And a preview screening. First day of public screenings in Europe, as far as I can tell. I'm so excited. Holy shit. Probably in the theater right as the show starts. Yeah, I, again, as we talked about a little bit earlier, Dune is my number one most anticipated movie. Not just of October, because it's not coming out till October here in, in America. Uh, but it is my number one most anticipated movie of the year. I believe this movie is going to win Best Picture of the Academy Awards. I may not think that after I see it. I may have a totally different opinion after I see it. But my guess right now is with the source material, you got the hottest director on the planet right now, terrific cast, everything looks right. I think this is going to win the Best Picture Academy Award. I think it's going to be the first genre film to win Best Picture since Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I may feel totally different after I see the movie, but that's my totally unfounded guess right now. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, next up we got, uh, John Campion's all elite rights, uh, with Shang-Chi looking like it's not getting a Chinese release due to Simu's comments. We talked about that yesterday, obviously. How do you think Marvel is going to move forward with the character moving forward? Will he be in Avengers five? Will Shang-Chi two budget be lowered? Will they recast Simu? Yeah. Listen, this was of course the big topic of conversation on the show yesterday. Like with Simu Lu making like an old interview resurfacing where Simu was saying, my parents told me that China was like a third world country and people die of starvation. Look, first thing to note is China has not as of yet banned. Uh, a lot of people talk as if China has banned Shang-Chi. They haven't. As of right now, they may, but as of right now, they have not. If they do, and that's a theoretical and a hypothetical, if they do end up banning Shang-Chi, and if they do say, we're not going to allow movies to play here that have this Simu Lu guy in it, what does Marvel do? And I know that everybody is an expert about what other people should do with their money. Everybody's a total expert on what other people should do with their money. And so everybody wants to say, screw China, you don't, you don't do it. Yeah, well, that's, it's easy to say because it's not your money and it's not your employees you got to pay. And it's got to be taken into consideration. China is the biggest movie market other than the United States. It is the biggest movie going market in the world. And you do a business and you got to know when to bend without breaking, you got to know when not to bend. And there are certain things worth having fights over. The fact of the matter is, um, I think this is something Marvel will have to struggle with. Again, this is all completely hypothetical. It's all completely hypothetical. Because as of right now, China has not banned Shang-Chi, nor have they banned Simu Lu. But if they do, what do I think Marvel will do? Well, we said it on yesterday's show. I think they'll keep Shang-Chi out of the Avengers. Because, I mean, Avengers is a potentially $2 billion franchise. When you put out a movie, it could make, it's going to make a billion in its sleep. Can it make $2 billion 
that that becomes the question. Obviously, the last Avengers did. But you can't get to nearly $2 billion unless you're playing in China. And if you got to keep one character out of it, because what I don't think they're going to do, I don't think they're going to recast Simu Liu. That I do not think they're going to do under any circumstances. Just like they weren't willing to get rid of uh, or replace Chloe Zhao, because, you know, Chloe Zhao is now persona non grata in China. But they're like, nah, we're not going to, we're not going to remove her as the uh, as the director of record on Eternals. She's staying on as the director of record on, on Eternals. Thank you very much, China. So I don't think they're going to get rid of Simu Liu uh, as the actor playing Shang-Chi. It may make them make some decisions about what other movies to put Shang-Chi in, though. So he'll. I think they'll still do Shang-Chi too. I think he may even pop up as a guest appearance in another movie, kind of like Hulk appeared in Thor Ragnarok but maybe they keep him out of Avengers. I mean, I don't know. It's not my money. It's easy to have an opinion when it's not your business on the line and when it's not your money that's at stake. And you got to pick your battles. Is this, and again, it's all hypothetical. China has not banned Shang-Chi yet, nor have they banned Simu Liu. So this is probably, this might not even ever become an issue. But if it does, the way I'm guessing Disney may handle it is keep Simu Lu, continue to make Shang-Chi movies, but maybe don't put him in the biggest of the big blockbusters that you're going to need to have play in China to maybe reach that $2 billion goal. You don't sacrifice $400 million um, over something that's not really worth having a fight over. I mean, I don't know. Everybody's going to have a different opinion of it, but that's kind of how I see it playing out. But that's just me. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Let me, let me address this first. Let me address this. A couple of people think they're really cool writing in to the live chat saying, stand up to China, but over what? I bet you anything. If I go through your house right now, half of what you own is probably made in China. You're probably not willing to spend five extra bucks for a similar t-shirt like you, you're, you're probably the type of person as most people are, you're probably the type of person that you'll pick. If there's two identical shirts, you'll pick the cheaper $5 one. And you won't even bother to see, oh, one was made in America. One was made in China. You won't even stand up to China for saving five bucks on a t-shirt. That That's, that's what normally gets me about this is, is that the people who are normally, and listen, over the right issues, I'm totally stand up to China as much as anybody over the right issues. But it just makes me laugh sometimes that I see a lot of people who are stand up to China, won't even stand up to China so they can save five bucks. Oh, that, that pair of shoes is $3 cheaper than that one? But that the cheaper one's three dollars. Yeah, I saved three dollars by buying the one from China. So I'll stand up to China. They won't even do it for five bucks. But they want other people to do the standing up to China. They want other people to do it. And again, I believe over the right issues and stuff like that, like I believe that keeping Chloe Zhao on as the director of Eternals, uh, because the only reason they were mad at her was for like her her actual stance and everything like that. And them saying, no, she is our director. If that means we can't play our movie in China, fine. But the reality is Eternals was never going to make $2 billion at the box office anyway. So you got to decide which issues are the ones to take a stand on? Which issues do you compromise on? That's just business. That's just business. 
And I believe there are issues you got to take a stand on. And there are times where you got to draw a line in the sand. And there are times that you got to take a stand on that. And there are times that you don't, that it's not worth it. And where is that line? Everybody will have a different opinion on where that line is. Everybody will have a different opinion on where that line is. Do I believe that putting Shang-Chi in Avengers at the cost of maybe $400 million to your business, is that one worth the fight over? Is that, is that one an issue that's worth taking a stand on over something as, as, as minute as some four-year-old interview where all Simu Lu was saying something that his parents told him? Uh, it's not even like, when you look at the Chloe Zhao thing, that's a matter of standing up for Chloe Zhao, saying her beliefs, saying something strong about her beliefs on a situation, and you stand by that. Simu Lu was like some four-year-old interview that he wasn't even saying what his personal beliefs were. He was just recalling a story that's something his parents told him. Is that worth instigating a fight over? I don't know that that's worth fighting over. There are things worth fighting over, and there are things that aren't, and I don't know. And listen, by the way, I'm not an expert on international trade affairs by any stretch of the imagination. I doubt anybody watching this show is. So, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not. I'm a movie fan. I'm a movie fan. So whatever I say about how a multinational corporation like Disney should engage on a business level with a huge market like China and what things should they do and what things should they not do, that is way above my pay grade. That is way above my pay grade. And anything I say about it right now, I may have a totally different opinion on in a month from now. Because this is not something I have strong ideological beliefs on. You know, because I don't have any expertise in this. I know it's all the popular rage to have strong opinions on things you know nothing about. But I don't really know much about this. I don't have a deep understanding of this. And so far, whatever kind of surface opinions I have about it right now could be totally different a month from now. So I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, again, I just giggle that that most people who will say stand up to China never do anything of the sort in their own daily lives at all, like at all. And I, I probably don't either. So I'm in that same boat with you. I mean, this is all of us. I'm in the same boat. I, so I don't know. It's a tricky, tricky situation that every, it's another one of these situations that's actually very tricky and people like to pretend like it's really simple. Cause unless you believe it's really simple, you can't have a strong opinion and everybody likes to have strong opinions, myself included. We all do, right? This is all of us. I'm not pointing my fingers at anybody. This is all of us. So I'm not going to pretend to understand what the best thing for them to do is, but, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. There are times to draw a line in the sand and there are times where you need to be diplomatic. And the real wisdom comes from knowing which situation is which. And this isn't just about Disney and China. This is about everything in life. There are times where you need to stand fast on something, draw a line in the sand and be unmoving. And then there are times that you need to, to be willing to look for, okay, what's the best thing to do? Where should we compromise? Where, where do we have to meet middle ground on things? There are times that's life guys. That's life. And wisdom comes from knowing the difference between the two situations. 
and and something like this, I don't have that wisdom. I'll just I'll be honest, I don't have the wisdom in that when it comes to this. But so it's going to be really interesting to see what does happen. All right, guys. That will do it all of our time for today for today's show. Listen, there are still a few more to go from DC fans, Scott Brown, Root, uh, Karen McGregor, and a few others. Don't worry, guys. We will do another Campia After Dark live companion video a little bit later tonight where we will uh, get through, if not probably, we will probably get through all the remaining questions. So come on back and join us later tonight when we do that. So if you had sent in a question and hasn't been answered yet, just come on back later tonight and we will uh, hopefully get to the questions that you guys sent in. But for now, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Thanks to the great Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in the live comments and questions and the super chat badges in the live chat as well, guys. Not only because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but you also supported this channel as you did it. And all of us thank you very, very much for that support. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.